most consumers, long gone are the days when Fred the Milkman would drop by with timely deliveries of our daily products, or we'd run down to the local grocery store and pick up some freshly baked bread, or harvest some bacon from that pig we've been growing in the backyard for the last year. Instead, we now live in a world where food and beverages move amazing distances in record times. But where does your food originate? The demand for this answer, along with legislation to protect consumers, has driven the trend towards traceability. Today on Proax Talks, we're joined by three experts in the field of traceability to shed some light on this burgeoning industry. Traceability and you. Please welcome Shub Singh, Business Development Manager for AccuLabel, Adrian Pasil, Manager of Drain and Fill for Hiram Walker and Sons, and Eric Hennefield, Omron Automation Traceability Director. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. It's great to be here. First of all, we can just go around. I'd like a quick introduction in 30 seconds of your background, perhaps, as well as what does traceability mean to you as an individual in your industry? First off, Eric. Yes, thank you. So uh, my name, like you said, is Eric Hennefield. I work with Omron Automation, and my background is uh, I've spent uh, over 25 years working with manufacturers to help them improve automation and efficiencies within their manufacturing facilities. Uh, so what traceability really means to me, or what I refer to as internal traceability, is the ability to track every single part and product and raw material throughout the entire manufacturing process. You know, from the moment the raw material enters the factory to the point when the final products are, are shipped out and logistically delivered throughout their supply chain. And so information on each part and product, including inspection results, uh, assembly details, time spent at each station, all of that data is recorded uh, from end to end. And when I think of the continued evolution of traceability, I really think what we refer to as traceability 4.0 as the next phase, it's all about process visibility. So what we're really trying to do now is, is take the data that's prevalent on the manufacturing floor and try to bring that data across the bridge that we call between OT and the IT side of the business. So we can start taking you know, information from the manufacturing side and combine that with the raw materials or the procurement and the supply chain data to really have one common ecosystem and information. And taking all that data and gathering it together to form some meaningful information is where I think the traceability solutions of the future are going to help manufacturers just really improve their, their overall equipment effectiveness. Thank you very much, Eric. We'll have more questions and some of those comments later on. Shub, if you could give us a brief background, please. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Shub Singh. Uh, I lead business development for AccuLabel. Uh, our founding company is called Eggtronic Control Systems. We're, so first and foremost, we're truly an engineering first company, uh, but we are the manufacturers of automated packaging and labeling solutions. So whereas we don't directly implement traceability, we enable traceability through our PLU labels. So as soon as you go to any type of grocery store, you go into your pantry, you see a, a fruit, you're peeling off that fruit sticker, very good chance if you can tear it in half, it's made of paper and therefore it's coming from AccuLabel. Again, we're based in Lakeshore, Ontario, so we're proud to be a Canadian firm, but we operate all throughout the world. And uh, in terms of our purpose, uh, we exist to enable traceability. Uh, it's through our state-of-the-art technologies and solutions. So we have a, a responsibility to advance it as well as uh, trust in our food systems. And so what we do is we dynamically print and apply key traceability information directly on a fruit label, uh, such as lot code, grower code, date and timestamps, QR codes, and any pertinent uh, international uh, labeling or, or thereby traceability information. 
so I'm very passionate about it uh, in terms of being able to look at standards, being able to look at how we can push the envelope in terms of innovation and truly empower consumers to be able to make better decisions. Thank you, Shub. And Adrian, tell us what yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. So uh, yeah, Adrian Petula here, manager for Blending Dream Phil at uh, Walkers. So uh, we are we're actually a 106-year-old distillery down in Windsor, Ontario. Um, I myself have a process and chemical automation background. Uh, so uh, for our facility, we're a grain to glass. So we really capture, you know, right from the farmer's crop uh, and all the components that we get from all of our suppliers coming in, uh, following their processes to make sure that they're producing to our standards. Uh, and then again, double checking once it even gets in-house uh, to make sure before it goes into our product that it follows everything how we need it to. Uh, and as well as that green passes through our system, we're monitoring each and every step of the way to make sure that it's staying within those parameters. Uh, you know, any little uh, obscuration coming out of, out of spec could be detrimental to the product long-term. Um, obviously everything that we do ages for up to three years. Uh, so catching it before it gets into a barrel and, and heads out for three years obviously saves lots of time and money. Uh, so we we are very just very uh, adamant on keeping a very tight spec on things. Uh, we have many systems in place right now, following those specs uh, and alarming operators and, and even supervisors, which we can get into later uh, on on the ways that those actually come up the chain, past the operators, right to supervisors if something really gets out of spec. So for for Adrian and Shub, I'm interested as a consumer. Um, and I'm kind of fascinated. Uh, when Shubin, you mentioned the labels. So are you saying that when I pick up my pepper at the local grocery store with my code I now put in my automated checkout, you can tell me where that pepper came from? And Adrian, you can tell me which grower, which field my bottle of rye came from? That's absolutely right. So in terms of, uh, at least on the, uh, the produce side, uh, every single fruit sticker is governed by what's called the GTIN uh, data matrix barcode. And so in terms of how that is established and how the real purpose of it is so that anytime you have a fruit and you're scanning it at checkout, you should be able to identify uh, not just the actual uh, date and uh, the timestamp in terms of when that produce is getting uh, checked out, but also in terms of the price and the specific variety and the country of origin. So these are all very important metrics that we look at in terms of as a consumer to understand what am I buying? Uh, is it again, organic, is it non-organic? But more importantly for the retailer, they need to be able to identify and distinguish the value of that product. And this is a system that's implemented across the world, um, again, governed by GS1 standards, the global standards uh, for establishing uh, not just uh, batch codes, uh, but really in terms of that, the data component of how it's going to flow from, from one country to the next, from one retailer to the next. And John, same thing on our side. Uh, yeah. Um, so again, I, we talk about grain. Um, 80% of our grain actually comes from a two-hour radius within where we are, uh, mainly all from Canada, mainly towards the London area. Um, and we can trace exactly when that grain was delivered, uh, all the uh, again, parameters and specifications of that corn coming in, sitting in the silos, going through our mills, through our cooking system, what the temperatures and pressures were uh, during fermentation, test ethanol percentage during fermentation, 
right through the distillation and then barreling, coming back to from barrel, putting into a final blend and then putting into a bottle. So that bottle code uh, that we can then walk backwards from using both our IT and our OT systems to trace exactly where that corn came from and all of the parameters on that kernel of corn or any type of grain for that matter. I imagine many people listening to this podcast are somewhat daunted by the idea of traceability in general and starting this process from scratch. Can I get some idea on from you gentlemen on how easy or not easy it is to start this process from scratch, from a green field to a fully implemented system? Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, it really depends, you know, on, on many factors, but uh, in general, a traceability solution uh, is not necessarily easy to implement. Uh, I don't work with all the time with green fields. It'd probably be a lot easier if you're starting from scratch to do a complete implementation for all your manufacturing processes. But I equate traceability to really similar to what we call digital transformation or IOT, uh, which a lot of people are familiar with, right? It really requires a shift from the, that manual intervention or, you know, manual documentation to a more automated predictability uh, a process where you can document that data more more reliably. And the human element is not necessarily the main problem, although it does factor in. The real issue is that when you think of what these gentlemen have been talking about, of all the documentation that's required, right, it really would be impossible for someone or people to manually enter all of that data effectively, uh, especially at the speeds they're working, right? Whether it's from farm to table or from grain to glass, there's so many steps in the process that humans are not capable to keep up and track from suppliers to growers to producers that it really requires more digital data that's really literally being pr produced all around us at all of these you know factories today it's just not being harnessed and pulled together in a way that makes it easy to sort of translate into one common language in order to make sense of it all right and make real time decisions so in my opinion the real the real issue is the traditional paper based methods of capturing information that exists you know at farms and packers and warehouses and some factories today makes it nearly impossible to have a a complete traceability that solution that's transparent and to track issues back to its source. So digitizing this data, you know, through automated devices, such as whether it's code readers or cameras or sensors or other types of equipment is really the answer to make this process a little more robust, uh, in my opinion. Shub, what's your experience in helping people introduce traceability into their networks? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a couple of components to this. The first being that traceability in every market, uh, whether in North American market or international markets, to some degree, there's a compliance component, which is compliance to whatever laws are governing your products, uh, your supply chain. So compliance is something that is going to evolve. So keeping abreast of what's happening and uh, what's to come in terms of regulatory change is very critical. Uh, we're seeing that quite a bit in produce. And part of that is, again, the proliferation of technologies, uh, the the widespread adoption of solutions that just simplify the process of taking data that otherwise may have been siloed and making it shareable across different uh, players in the supply chain. So from our specific business line, uh, fruit stickers are not a, uh, they're not really a regular, there's not a regulatory requirement for them. They're, there's more of a business requirement because retailers need to comply to government mandates. And so there's a one up and one down requirement. Uh, requirement for being able to trace back if there is a, a food recall, if there is some sort type of foodborne illness that's transmitted, you need to be able to look forward as to who's impacted and you need to be able to look back as to, okay, where did it come from? 
So many of our customers that are using our track and trace solutions um, benefit because agriculture and just the way we consume food now is so globalized. And so those global boundaries are really blurring to the point where at any given time, I'm ordering food from my phone or at a store that's come and, and cross paths or touched the hands of you know anywhere from tens to hundreds of people, whether that is the growers, whether it's the packers, whether it's the distributors. So what we look to do is really... Uh, establish a benchmark or some type of uh, some type of framework that our customers can use within the domain of again the market they're working in uh, the retailers that they must work with and uh, beyond that though the big trend is looking at what can traceability do to enhance your agility in those cases of recalls so rather than looking at it as a, a reactionary function looking at more how do we proactively look at traceability, in the way that we can enhance our relationship with our customers. Again, whether that is a retailer instilling more confidence in the consumer that, hey, if there's a recall or if some food has gone bad, we're going to notify you proactively rather than, you know, you're going to hear about it in the news and you're going to have uh, some, some sort of issue like that. So uh, again, in terms of looking at setting this up, look at your regulatory requirements, look at your business requirements and really work with your supplier network, your uh, supply chain network to understand how do you take it as a competitive advantage. Adrian, can you give us some insight in working with traceability and how it's been better since you started? Yeah, so uh, again, we've we've really expanded our traceability over the years. Uh, I think the best one that I can really say is always just start small, pick out low-hanging fruit first, something that you have the most control over in your process. Um, and, and can easily be upgraded to to better track and to better have historical data on uh, long term. Again, a lot of the stuff you're trying to catch before it gets out in the market, but there is always those those slim chances that things do get by, and uh, you do have to recall. So it's it's best to work back. And sometimes those the easiest processes, uh, or sorry, the hardest processes can be the easiest things to put a simple solution in for. Uh, uh, an example for us would be uh, our, our barrel tracking that we just did. So, or not just did, but quite a few years ago now, uh, we actually started tagging barrels out at our warehouses. And now we have the full life cycle of a barrel, when it was drained, when it was filled, what product was in it last, how long was it in there for. You know, that's a process that seems quite daunting based off of the amount of barrels that we do have, uh, but it's leaps and bounds in, in troubleshooting and and tracing things backwards. Uh, if there is ever an issue, again, three years down the line afterwards, we can instantly track backwards to what we need. Um, and, and to Eric's point, digital is always better than hard copies or manual intervention by, by operators. Humans make mistakes uh, and it kind of multiplies when there's a lot of moving parts and multiple hands in the pot. Uh, so it's best to just put in a simple digital check, uh, visual check, uh, you know, whatever it may be to capture those uh, incidences or, or specifications that you need for your system. And hopefully that will stop the process or slow it down enough to alert people to, to jump in and, and make changes where it may be so that you don't uh, send out, uh, you know, failing failing inventory or, or of that matter. Um, and again, you, you have to walk before you can run, right? So look at the small stuff, get that taken care of. And then once you jump on to bigger and, uh, and more complex uh, processes, it, those ones feel a lot less overwhelming because you already have the groundwork in place and you understand what to do and, 
and what's working and what hasn't worked in the past. I was also wondering about what kind of roadblocks you gentlemen see in terms of implementing processes. You know, what's the biggest hurdle you get in your experience? What did you hit and what do you anticipate? Sure. So, you know, it varies from, from manufacturer to manufacturer, uh, but some of the roadblocks, you know, that manufacturers are faced with today are, are pretty general, right? The workforce shortage is a, is a big issue for a lot of manufacturers, finding people to actually work in the factories with the right skill set. Uh, there's a lot of aging infrastructure within the plants, the equipment's getting older, and it's just harder to optimize what factories are trying to do, let alone, you know, digitally transform their facilities. So when you combine that with the increasing consumer demand, uh, a lot of manufacturers are faced with a lot of challenges, right? And so while many manufacturers have implemented automation solutions in some form or fashion, many are still not, like I mentioned earlier, many are still not necessarily utilizing all the data. It's still siloed, like you mentioned. It may not be using data from all their disparate sources to make some real-time decisions. So as manufacturers begin to introduce more and more, you know, smart devices, smart machines into their factories, the they don't always tend to utilize that data that's coming along sort of for free in that. So the, the major challenge, again, in my opinion, with the traceability solution is the inability to gather, to aggregate, and to take all of that data, format it into one common you know, language that makes sense, and then present it back in a, in a fashion that's meaningful, whether it's a, you know, improvement to their manufacturing process or something that procurement can do to help their supply chain provide better uh, resources to their to their facilities, right? And if we can get to a point where, say, all the growers, all the producers, all the transporters and the retailers are working off of one data system, right? Pull data or push data from one common platform, that would virtually, you know, eliminate many of the food safety issues that, that we see today. So it's a, it's a big task. But I think we're moving in the right direction, definitely, uh, as things progress and this technologies improve. Shub, I was wondering what your biggest hurdle has been in terms of getting your customers up and running. What's been a, is there a recurring theme, perhaps, that you've seen throughout your experience? Yeah, so our, our customer base, again, is composed of farmers, uh, farmers, marketers, as well as distributors of fresh produce. And so, again, a common theme or challenge is that in terms of any food safety process that you're putting in place, there's a cost associated to it. So it, there's a difficulty in trying to develop that calculus, if you will, of what's the cost versus what's the uh, benefit of such a full, full-on traceability solution. Because at the end of the day, you're able to do a lot of tremendous things with the amount of information we have right now. We see that. And we see certain markets, uh, for example, Asian markets that are more ahead in terms of that digital transformation piece than us here in North America. But in terms of uh, being able to communicate that value, that's one challenge because, uh, you know, we're, we're humans that uh, business leaders that need to be incentivized. And if there's a bit, pretty much a default status that let's not push the status quo in terms of what's we're capable of and what we can do, then we're just going to fall back into doing the minimum. So in terms of food safety, uh, again, lives are at stake. Uh, the, the risks are not always clear until they actually occur. And you have some critical event, uh, whether that's a massive food recall or whether that's some type of uh, repercussions from not having uh, you know, your full food safety traceability solution in place. So shifting the mindset is one major roadblock. Again, realizing that uh, it can be a source of competitive advantage rather than being reactionary and just doing what's required 
rather than that, going above and beyond. You know, in our case, if you're able to put on not only your grower code on your label, but also your lot code, that's going to give you a lot more information. And as soon as something does happen, uh, you're able to mitigate that risk, identify who's impacted and communicate it. Because then you have a feedback loop, you're, you're learning, you're improving, uh, rather, rather than uh, just, again, doing the minimum in terms of what what is required, whether it's uh, for the next layer in your supply chain or whether it's a couple layers down. So that's one uh, shift that I do see is getting uh, is is happening to a degree. And I think it will happen uh, more so in the future. Excellent. Thank you very much. And Adrian, I was wondering what your thoughts were on that same point. For me, I would agree with Eric saying, you know, costs. I think the cost is the biggest hurdle for a lot of companies, especially if they don't have anything in place or anything tracking or uh, digital, digitizing parameters. It's a pretty big step up. Uh, you know, you, you need the IT and the OT side of things, and then you need someone that will be able to communicate the OT to the IT so that everything is tracked uh, backwards and you can share that, that data with the rest of your company. That Link has been uh, getting a lot closer over the years. We, I've been noticing at my plant specifically that we're really combining OT and IT, meshing it a lot better than we have in the past, whereas two separate entities now we're forming it as one. And again, just, just costs on a lot of these people that want to get more traceability, they have old aging equipment um, that wasn't originally designed for the traceability that we need in today's today's growing world. You know, MacGyvering parts and, and systems into old processes can get pretty costly. Um, but again, it's probably less expensive than buying a whole new system, which new systems come more or less out of the box with all that traceability on them, because that's the way that everyone needs them these days, uh, right for regulatory reasons and food safety. Builders or fabricators of, of new equipment, you know, they're not really asking if you need it. It's already kind of implemented inside of their bottling lines is probably our best example. They have so much more visualization on them, tracking everything from glass or metal in the, in the bottles, which I think is an old system, but now the new vision systems to make sure the bottle is filled to that exact level, which we need actually for excise purposes, they almost come standard on bottling lines now because of the excise law. And I think another portion of it is because everything's becoming digitized, the aging workforce and older employees are a little less uh, accepting of change, bringing on new things. I'm seeing a shift. Uh, the, the workforce is starting to be a little younger these days. Uh, and I think the younger staff is, is helping the, the older employees understand that, you know, this stuff is here to help them and to help them find issues quicker and uh, not have to spend as much time looking at the line or looking through data. It, it's it's rapid, rapid feed to them. Um, so it's getting the buy-in from those older employees to, to be willing to move the business forward. Oh, can I just piggyback on that really quickly too? That uh, I, I agree with what, what both of you just said. The, uh, the cost and fear of the unknown are huge issues. You know, many simply do not understand what a traceability solution even involves, right? And where to start with such a solution. I, I like what Adrian said about earlier about uh, starting small. Start with a single production line or maybe a smaller area of your warehouse or some portion of the process that helps to get everything started. Uh, this will 
you know, help get some of those people that are used to doing things a certain way within an organization to become more familiar with what the idea of the solution really is and to get people more comfortable with that technology that is available and probably already exists, like Adrian said, with vision systems and other things out on the plant floor. And so it might sound a lot more, more difficult than it truly is and implementation could be much easier than perceived. So I, I, I agree with what Adrian said. This is, you know, start, find some places to start. Regulatory compliance is probably going to force this sooner or later anyways, and, and it can really bring a lot of benefits besides just complying to what you know conformance you need to it can bring a lot of uh, efficiencies to the manufacturing process as well fear of the unknown is a great term it's it's scary until you get into it and then you might step back and say well that wasn't so bad and then you'll start picking away at everything faster than you ever thought it. right yeah, my, yeah my ears sort of perked up with mention of excise it got me thinking has your experience been that you're getting more of a drive from from the government perspective through excises etc or for the consumer or from your own internal forces so uh, what we're seeing is uh, supply chains are taking up a lot of these changes to improve uh, flow of products. And again, uh, in terms of like bigger supply chains, like for example, Walmart, they're adopting full-on traceability solutions with specific people requirements, specific technology requirements, procedural requirements, because again, that gives them more full control and uh more guidance on their own supplier network. And so that's that's what we're seeing is that the, the supply chain side is much further along. Uh, in terms of regulatory side, it's, it's almost like you're trying to make uh, considerations for everyone, whether it's a smaller, uh, smaller operation or medium size to large. So I think enterprises will essentially have more stringent requirements than the uh, government, uh, than the regulatory bodies. And then the regulatory bodies are taking cues from the innovations, from, from the innovations that are happening in uh, different, different companies, different organizations, as well as different markets. Adrian, you mentioned the excise uh, perspective of your, your industry. Is that the main driving force or would you do it regardless of government intervention? I would say it's the main driving force. Excise really controls what leaves our building. Uh, so obviously customer demands and, and specifications play a role in it, but everything always falls back on, on excise. We got to make sure we're within those excise guidelines, mainly because we're shipping not just within North America, we kind of ship worldwide. So everything that leaves our facility has to follow our excise demands as well as the country's uh, standards and regulations that it's going to be uh, exported to. Um, so uh, we have a whole R&D team that whenever we look at new uh, new customers and, and new recipes that, you know, the first thing that we look at is, okay, what do we have to stay within for this company or for this government regulations? Take, for instance, uh, a simple one is one of the, some of the products that we send to Europe have to be GMO free. So we're uh, sending them everything has to have GMO within it. It can't have uh, non, sorry, it can't have non-GMO. Hold on, let me, sorry, let me, re let me rephrase that. It has to be non-GMO. <laughs> kind of messed that up. It has to be non-GMO when we ship to Europe. They will not accept GMO products. So that brings us right back to our grain. Our grain has to be sourced from a non-GMO uh, farmer. And all of the ingredients going into that have to also be non-GMO and follow those regulations uh, for, for, for Europe, for, uh, as an example. Eric, I was wondering what your thoughts were on compliance. You being the American amongst us, 
What role does the FDA have compared to CFIA in Canada? And what do you see in terms of government action in this world? Sure. So, I mean, the CFIA has very, I would call it straightforward requirements for their, you know, food inspection traceability process. The the example is, you know, for every manufacturer, they have to document the receipt of the raw materials, the ingredients, you know, or the packaging materials they're using. They have to document the use of those raw materials and ingredients uh, throughout their production. They have to document the packaging of all the finished products that they include. And then they have to document all the shipping of those finished products out to the consumers. And, and then they have to be able to provide or prove to that agency, to CFA, that they have documented that appropriately. So there might be, you know, audits or inspections or, you know, in case of a recall, they have to be able to provide that documentation. So it's it's pretty straightforward, but the it is progressing uh, greatly over time. So the CFI and the FDA uh, in the Americas are now kind of progressing on what I'll call their, they, they're calling their new era of smarter food safety. They're trying to promote tech-enabled traceability solutions. Uh, the FDA is encouraging food producers to develop these solutions that are low cost, right? So that's a challenge. There's a lot of, you know, mid to smaller size pieces to this puzzle that, you know, these organizations don't have a lot of resources, don't have a lot of money, don't understand the technology. And these agencies are very optimistic that they'll be able to achieve, you know, through shared data and digital information, some of these traceability capabilities. Uh, I think it was Shub mentioned earlier, you know, there's another global standard called GS1 or G10 that you've mentioned that's a traceability standard that crosses sort of all different a variety of uh, industries from pharmaceuticals to healthcare to food service logistics. And those GS1 or G10 standards are being adopted by more and more countries as they come online. And so like Adrian mentioned, it's always a challenge to sort of keep up with what as a, as a producer of a good or a product to keep up with what agencies and requirements fall into where you're delivering your products. And, and that's a big part of traceability, but there are options. There are organizations out there can really be helpful for that. There are service providers that can, that are really experts in, in this area that can make that easier. So it should, it, it sounds like it's an incredibly challenging task, but it really can be uh, become efficient once you understand, you know, who to partner with and where to work and, and where you're delivering. It's, it's something that can be overcome for sure. Thank you very much for that, Eric. Shub, you've got a lot of experience with many customers. I was wondering about the data formats that are being used out there. Do you see a concentration on one data format or there are more and more variable data formats available? Yeah, so the the primary uh, data format that our customers like must adhere to is the uh, G10 omnidirectional truncated barcode, which is a very long-winded word for like the fruit sticker uh, scan, like the the actual uh, barcode that you see on fruit stickers. But where it's getting interesting now is uh, moving away from just these requirements into being able to print a little bit more sophisticated uh, types of information. So there's the uh, QR barcode, which is now as consumers, we're much more familiar with it because as soon as you go to a restaurant, you're no longer you know holding a physical menu. You're in most cases just scanning a code and uh, you're being redirected to a website. So that's a massive uh, trend that we've seen, especially now during the pandemic. Um, but what that does for products is that you have uh, something that's static, which is that QR code. It's a static code that's going to always direct you to one, one site. So it's a pointer. 
but that site is now dynamic. So your website could change, should change at any given time. What that does for uh, the actual, uh, whether it's uh, again, the farmers, retailers, um, anyone along the supply chain, what that does is you're able to truncate, which means add in information that might be relevant to that product. So if you want to tell the story of that product from, from farm to fork, technically you're able to tell a very detailed story of every single checkpoint, every single hand that that product has uh, touched to get, get up through that supply chain. So that is something that, again, is uh, now capable of doing even in very, very small instances. I mean, our companies proved it out. Uh, we're partners with HP uh, and we use inkjet technology. And so it's a reliable printing mechanism. And again, you know, fruit stickers are very small. So if you're able to prove it out in such a small use case, uh, you can just imagine that it could, it could be applied to a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different use cases um, across different industries and adjacent fields. So I think that's something that we will see more of as we go into the future, which is uh, more products having these QR codes, uh, the, uh, again, the shift of those sites being dynamic and sharing relevant information that can improve real-time decision-making. Personal note, Shib, I'm worried that last night when I ate my cucumber, I did not take my label off peeling it. Am I going to live? <laughs> yeah, I think you'll be fine. I mean, in, there's <laughs> There's basically two different types of labels, one one of which, um, again, are like either it's plastic or it's largely paper. Uh, we try to use paper labels just so there, there is some additional fiber for you if you do accidentally eat it. But all, all fruits must be FDA food safe. And that's usually contact, meaning uh, contact to other fruits that it's not going to have any type of uh, uh, toxins that transfer. But I wouldn't suggest eating any produce label at all. Um, but if you do by accident, again, we always ask ourselves that question, what would you rather? And we'd rather, you know, if it's an accident, your, your child or grandchild eats a paper label rather than a plastic label. Because again, plastic is something we don't want in our bodies. You should perhaps make them add seasoning to them. Yeah. Is it true that eating a fruit label, it'll stick in your stomach for seven years, like eating bubble gum? Yeah. So right now, <laughs> globally, the challenge, uh, there's a lot of regulatory bans happening on uh, plastic, but as well as anything that's non-home compostable. So the whole mindset is that fruit fruit labels should be similar to the way consumers dispose of fruit, which is you toss it in your compost in the backyard. Uh, so that's a big requirement right now that's coming across the, uh, the world, really stemming from France. But now uh, the USDA is looking at this, uh, New Zealand, Australia, uh, Belgium, they're all taking a stance on this. And uh, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, we are part of a closed loop system, which is our planet Earth. And whether you're eating it now or whether it's making its way into our waterways and, you know, dissolving and somehow getting back into our water streams, I mean, like everything's connected. So the, the, the challenge is, though, uh, adhesives. Right now, the adhesive market is uh, needs need some more uh, options in terms of what is capable from uh, the sustainability side. So it's finding a balance between performance, uh, which is your product needs to hold up, that label needs to hold up through the supply chain. But uh, the other side of it, sustainability needs to break down once it's time to break down. So there's a tension there, it's not easy, but again, we promote paper over plastic. Uh, and I think that's that's where the industry's gonna head. And I heard too, uh, Adrian, that a shot of bourbon will really help that digest better too, I think, right? Isn't that the case? One to two bottles, yeah, that'll help you out. <laughs> <laughs> so with, 
we talk about data, data formats and such. To me, as a relative novice, I, I'm afraid of being overwhelmed by the sheer volume of data. What do you do with it all? So I think in terms of brands that are succeeding now, they're taking that data and they're telling a very compelling story that's going to deliver further brand equity, further trust and confidence in their products. So whether it's, again, like that product moving or whether it's the carbon footprint of whatever product you're producing, you're able to communicate this in the form of a story that's simplified for a consumer and basically give them the, the, this information that helps them decide, okay, what do I want, A or B? You know, it comes down to those simple binary decisions, but all of this data, if utilized properly, can improve decision-making and uh, improve a lot of different outcomes, whether again, it's uh, sustainability outcomes or whether it is brand trust or uh, just making better decisions for your family. I think that's huge. The sustainability and the visual of, you know, this is what we're doing. Uh, here it is. Uh, not having the curtain drawn is 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 massive to consumers right now. They want to be able to see that you're you're not hiding anything. Um, you know, whether that be energy statements that you're you know moving towards a zero carbon emissions is huge right now. Uh, you're, you're reducing water usage, you're reducing energy usage across the board. Um, you know, everyone's looking for that right now. Definitely. And along with that, I'll say, you know, customer brand loyalty is a huge part of it. And, and Shub mentioned how QR codes or UPC barcodes are very prevalent today. And, and you're right. Those are, those are things that consumers can, can scan and get information and manufacturers can use in their production facilities. But what's really interesting is how those codes and that data are, you know, sort of translated under the hood. It, it creates different challenges. So you can imagine that the way a consumer might use their smartphone to scan one of those QR codes, you know, it might present the data to you in a meaningful way, but the way that a vision system might scan that code or the way that an internal ERP system in a manufacturing facility might create a work order based on some of that information. The, the data underneath the hood is very different. So again, the real trick is to take all of these disparate types of datas, put them into a common format so that you can give that full transparency to your consumer, right? And so there are, there are some really interesting data formats in play today. One that I'm gonna mention is called, it's called MQTT. It's a data format that's very prevalent on what we call the IT side. Uh, it's, it's in use today. It's a common open protocol, but what's interesting is it's also something that I call it's lightweight. It's doesn't require a lot of horsepower for a device to generate data in MQTT format. So that's a type of data format that we're seeing that many manufacturers are adopting. Many IT sides of their business are adopting many consumer products and cloud based uh, storage facilities have adopted that, that technology, which could be sort of a, a common format, a common language that would allow that data transfer that Adrian and Shu both mentioned, right? The not just scanning the code at the, you know, at the end user at the consumer side, but not just so when the farmer scans that code in the beginning of the process and and taking that data when it's scanned internal in the manufacturing process and combining all that data to give the consumer a really a full view is the trick. And I think we're getting very close to that. That's the that's the goal and that's what we can drive towards with this digitization of data. Gentlemen, I was hoping you could all polish your crystal balls and help my stock portfolio by predicting the future. Where are we going in the next year, the next decade? Adrian, if you start off first, please. Uh, so I think it's just being more open um, and, and sharing that data. Uh, a lot of times we we have it and it's 
you know, we can visualize it and understand what it all is, but sharing that with, with consumers and suppliers and customers, again, makes it look like you're not hiding anything. Okay. Sure. What's your prediction of the future? Uh, we, well, I wish I could tell you what stocks to pick, but I, I'm not sure if I'm uh, in any liberty to do that. But in terms of the future of traceability and food safety, I totally agree uh, with Adrian that it is going to be a much more open world. And in terms of right now, our current state is that uh, th there's a shift occurring from traceability uh, in terms of what what can be seen uh, versus what should be seen, what should be shared. Uh, again, stories have always connected us as human beings. So I think being able to compel more data-driven stories, uh, being able to give consumers uh, a little bit more of an understanding, a little bit deeper understanding of where things coming from, how are they sourced, how are they made, is it ethical, is it not ethical? Uh, so alignment, therefore, between a consumer's values uh, as well as brands, that's going to be at a much greater uh, look. There's going to be more scrutiny. And so as consumers get more empowered, get more uh, devices that will share uh, these stories, I think that's a big trend that uh, companies can really harness, which is if you're, if you're doing something, do it the right way. Uh, if you want to inspire your competitors, you know, share that information. There's almost like a sense of co-opetition now rather than competition, which is if I can do something better and prove it in the market, then not only am I going to take the lead on that, but I'm actually going to persuade the entire market to follow suit. So I think that's another massive trend. And uh, we're seeing it again in our industry, produce and uh, moving at a much more rapid pace than I would have ever expected in just the last five years. So I think where we've come to at this point, I think in the next 10 years, it's going to be tremendously enhanced. Again, in terms of that information as well, it's being utilized uh, for machine learning algorithms, whether that's projecting what sales are going to be or whether that's projecting, hey, what varieties or what commodities will uh, be most fruitful, uh, pun intended. But I think that that's where we're heading, uh, which is, again, like just next level decision making with, that's all driven by data. I am going to steal that term competition. I like that. And I guess maybe for me, where we're going yeah. is, is like it's been mentioned, is, is full transparency, right? I think it's, it's, you know, we take things for granted in, in North America, especially I think when it comes to food safety or pharmaceutical safety or, you know, that what we buy is is going to be, you know, is not going to be harmful. And, and that's not necessarily true in, in other parts of the world. There are definitely issues where they do not have transparency or don't have the capability to track and trace everything that that's being produced. Uh, and so... Transparency is not really just a consumer demand. Uh, I think it's really becoming an, an internal initiative for many manufacturers and for the, especially the ethical providers, right? The ones that want to do the right thing and are doing the right thing. And this internet of things that's that's impacting all of us right now is making this really more of an expectation and a reality than it's ever been before. So again, and not just consumers and customers, but manufacturers are really trying to find a way to utilize this data and harness it. And I agree with that term uh, that, that should be used. So I think sharing of data between all parties is going to become critical and almost mandatory. Uh, it's no longer going to be a competition. In my opinion, it's going to be more of a collaboration between all parties involved. And it's and it's going to be seen as a 
as an opportunity. It's it's not something I think again data and sharing of data, especially manufacturers or internal. A lot of you know what we call IP or intellectual property sometimes was fearful of sharing you know how we did it or what we did or how much energy we used or how much water we used. Now that's going away. That's becoming a, a thing of the past. And sharing that information and collaborating between all parties in the processes is going to be uh, something that's already happening today. But I think it's going to come full circle and be a basically be a, a given in the future. And full transparency, I think, is where we're going when it comes to production of any type of food item. Adrian, you want to take another run at it? No, I think we're all on the same same one there, the same path that it, obviously full transparency and, and working together, uh, cross-functioning against different distilleries. Um, uh, we're fairly open with everyone. If we have an issue, we actually reach out to other distilleries ourselves and sometimes they'll already have a solution and we bounce ideas off each other uh, constantly what's worked, what hasn't worked, uh, you know, where are they headed, where are we, we headed. Um, it isn't a competition anymore. It's it's how can we make the business as a whole better instead of, you know, one person trying to have a monopoly over everything, having everyone work together. And no matter who you buy from, you're getting quality product and trying to not have those people that try and get under the system or, you know, hide things, keep on growing. We want people to see, you know, we're healthy, we're safe, uh, we're helping out the environment, we're helping out the communities around us. It's, it's, a, it's bigger than just the company. It's, it's the whole city, community. Excellent, thank you very much.